Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo with big data and real-time and predictive analytics from the consumer to the enterprise. Learn how to help your organization move in exciting new directions. Here's your host, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Today's buzz, startups and telcos. We have a story to tell, and I have three very, very smart panelists who are going to help us out with this topic. So let's get started. The globally booming telecommunications industry, which is shortcut to telcos very often, faces the Herculean task of offering superb multi-channel user experiences. That's a lot. But they also have to maintain the integrity of their global service and their infrastructure. Looks to us like telcos need a lot of help. So the question of the day is, can today's smart tech startups who are poised to enhance the mobile platform have a significant impact where it's needed? But the challenge is, if carrier and government policies continue to vary dramatically country to country, what can they do other than regional implications? And how closely should these startups, these newcomers, if you will, and some of them are not that new, but maybe to this industry, how closely should they align with the industry giants in the telco vertical? I have a panel of three people calling from all over the world. Wait till you hear them. Wonderful experts, insiders. Their first-hand insights are going to inform you and compel you, and you're going to want to know more. So let me get this started. Our experts speak. First up on the panel is Wendy Chen. She's the founder and CEO of Silk, and that is spelled with all capitals, like it's shouting out S-I-L-K. It's a social CRM extension for luxury retailers. Wendy sent me the following quote, the future of how we work and communicate will be defined by the emerging world. Wendy, you're calling from China. It is now 4.04 a.m. Thank you for getting up for this. How are you today? Oh, feeling great. Nice early start to the day. Happy to be here. Wonderful. So tell me about this quote. The future of how we work and communicate will be defined by an emerging world. Is this the the new emerging countries that have the spendable money or what is the part that's emerging? Talk to me. I'm talking about the developing world. That's absolutely Mm -hmm. right. The countries that we've historically thought of, not necessarily as consumers, but the countries that have produced the goods that we look at. So very specifically, my background is going to be coming from the perspective of China and Hong Kong, where I'm living right now. So I just believe that in general, as the emerging world is modernizing, we will have multiple versions of what we define as the modern lifestyle in the modern world, instead of just following the one concept of modernity in the West. So from the perspective of telcos and innovation, the primary opportunity that I see is in the way that we work and communicate. So in the emerging world, not just specific to China, but a lot of Southeast Asia and probably Africa as well, we skipped over this being chained to the desktop concept. And a lot of the work went straight to uh, surfing the Internet, doing everything directly on the mobile. So we use text and messaging apps and voice a lot more than we use email, and that's just indicative of how we came online. So in emerging markets, there's just no, there is no legacy of heavy-duty on-premise enterprise software. Mm-hmm. Bringing your own device to work isn't that strange. So there's a lot of opportunity for this concept of creating this personalized enterprise app store, which telcos are very well poised to do. 
that's what I mean by a lot of the way that we communicate and this opportunity is fairly unique to telcos in the emerging world. There's a lot of space to innovate here. So very few carriers have succeeded in creating consumer enterprise, or sorry, consumer app stores, but enterprise is a very, very special place where voice, text, and general data work together in a very special way, in a very complex way. So for startups, and this is specifically where we live, users will want to find very simple solutions that are designed specifically for their verticals. So this seems to me like a very interesting place for our startups to work with telcos. Very exciting. Wendy, what a great start to our conversation. I really appreciate the intro. And I'm going to ask you to sit tight while I bring on our second panelist. His name is Yaniv Moore, M-O-R, and he's the co-founder and CEO of Xplenty. It's a cloud-based Hadoop-as-a-service platform. And Yaniv is calling from Israel today, and he sent me the following quote, Big Data is the new lifeline for telecommunications giants, a gold mine waiting to be explored. How exciting. Yanni Moore, welcome. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And as opposed to Wednesday, it's uh, 10 p.m. here. All the kids are in bed, and I can actually uh, have a nice uh, one-hour chat with you guys. So it's great. great to be here. I'm, I'm very good. Where exactly in Israel are you calling from, Yanni? I'm calling from a small, um, uh, small village, actually. Right between Haifa and Tel Aviv. Okay, we wanted to pinpoint you on the map. So talk to me about this. Big data, the new lifeline for telecoms giants, a gold mine waiting to be explored. That almost seems to me like an oxymoron because you, you talk about the giants. Sounds like they've already got a couple of gold mines in their pocket, and now you say there's something new. So let's relate big data to telcos to gold mine and exploration. Go ahead, Yanni. Absolutely. So definitely, you know, the, the telco giants are sitting on huge, huge piles of data. And, but they are struggling in the sense that, um, you know, revenue streams and, and profitability is, is, is a challenge. It's not how it used to be, you know, five or seven years ago. And they need to explore new ways to, uh, to, uh, to monetization. And with big data, uh, they have the ability to do so. They, you know, the telecom companies pretty much know everything about us. And by having this data and doing this analysis, they can, they can explore new ways of how to, you know, it's, and, and it's all along the, kind of the telco value chain. Then they, can, they can explore how to um, optimize their network operations and optimize their product development and definitely how to better market their services and their sales operations and their customer services. So, so you know, and with big data, it's, it's, uh, everybody's talking about big data today. Um, and, and there's a lot of hype around it, but there's, there's a lot of substance as well, obviously. Um, and, you know, data is the new oil. And telcos are there, and they are in, in, in an excellent position to exploit the opportunities that big data presents. That's also very exciting. Thank you so much for that introduction. And let's turn to our third panelist. His name is Gary Shankar. He's a venture partner at Naya Ventures, N-A-Y-A, and he sent me the following quote. Facebook purchase of WhatsApp is actually a steal. The mobile operators probably lost twice that much in revenues in the last four years. Welcome, Gary. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from uh, Seattle, Washington, compared to the other two guests. It's... uh 
actually for a change, uh, sunny in Seattle. Oh, and, uh, nice! It's only, <laughs> it's only one o'clock in the afternoon, so <laughs> uh, with uh, with my uh, Starbucks coffee, I'm happy to join the uh, other panelists <laughs> and uh, spend the of hour course. talking about this. Good. So talk to me about this purchase. You say it was a steal. I know there were big bucks attached to that purchase. So yeah. let's get your perspective on telcos. Go ahead, Gary. Yeah, everybody, you know, everybody questioned you know, why should have Facebook paid $16 billion, uh, to what was arguably a messaging app, you know, uh, mm-hmm. picking up on what uh, both uh, Wendy and Jan have said. Um, if you recall, for many years, uh, all the mobile operators worried they would just become a dumb pipe. Guess what? That's what, what we want every single day. Uh, we want to use our utility. You take your smartphone, there are five things you use every day. One of them happens to be messaging. And WhatsApp mm-hmm. made it very, very simple. Got half a billion people to sign up in a relatively short amount of time. And when, they, uh, that when, when Facebook bought them, if you read the statistics, the amount of messages that was going through WhatsApp was equivalent to all the messages uh, across all telcos on SMS. Wow. So people do basics. We use mm-hmm. our phone to call. We use our call, phone to message others. Yes, we do use our phones to locate others, or we use our phones to declare our location. Um, there are some basics we do every single day. And as Yanov said, mobile operators knew all of this all along. It was one of just uh, maximizing what they do best. So from a Facebook perspective, they have a billion-plus users today. There's 6 billion human beings, 6 billion plus human beings on the planet. If they can jump to the next half a billion, which is what Wendy talked about, who are all on mobile because they don't have the legacy of the Internet, mm-hmm. then, uh, then they've moved uh, for 10% of the value of their company, they gain half a billion, which I think is a steal. If I were to look back as to what a, uh, mobile operators would have lost in revenue, I would, have, I would guess they would have lost twice that, uh, simply because as, as users migrated from uh, using the carrier's network for SMS to, and paying for it to WhatsApp, they lost all that revenue. Mm-hmm. And it was not one of technology. And it's not like WhatsApp had something unique or, easy, uh, you know, yes, they were beautiful, they, they were simple, etc., but... So was SMS. I, I, didn't, I don't hear people complaining the SMS client is clunky. Um, I think it was one of just looking ahead and seeing how the usage is going to happen and adjusting. And that I think they didn't get uh, from just looking at their own data. Our connection between um, our contact uh, uh, you know, in our phone and the apps we use is very, very tight. Um, you know, I'm sure that all of us now barely remember phone numbers. We just can, <laughs> you know, pull a name up and just dial. We pull a name up and send a message. And that's really a very basic thing. And if you think about it, that is the largest social network you have. If somebody exists on my contact, in my phone book, on my phone, then they have, then they have somehow connected with me in the past. And most likely I'm keeping them there so I can connect with them in the future. The very basis of definition of, of a social network. Then telcos have it. They, they can still win. And there are only, you know, four other companies that I see in the same WhatsApp space. And, uh, can, and, they, and they'll, they'll still have a long uphill battle. But 
the mobile operators have to just start innovating. That's uh, that's kind of where their their biggest opportunity is. They can't be worried about that we'll become a dump pipe and do things that are not natural to them. Thank you, Gary. What a good opening. We have such great remarks from Wendy Chen at Silk or with Silk and Yanni Moore at Plenty and Gary Shankar at Naya Ventures. I'm going to circle back and ask each of you to take about a minute, minute and a half and tell our listeners what you do. How did your company start? What was what I call the gleam in somebody's eye? Uh, Wendy, you're the founder of Silk. What were you thinking? What was appearing to you on the horizon that you felt a need that you wanted to fill as a startup? Yanni, I'll ask you the same thing about X Plenty. You're the co-founder, and Gary Shankar. I'll ask you also about Naya. So, Wendy, why don't you give us a little bit of a, an overview, the high-level view of Silk and your main company, OmniStream? Go ahead, please. Sure. So, Silk is a vertical CRM. We make CRM extensions specifically for luxury retailers. So, our design is a little bit special because we really focus on empowering the frontline user to take control of what's historically been done at headquarters. Consumers experience brands when they walk into a store, when they're interacting with the human in, at the front line. So why should CRM functions be behind the scenes? That's really the design concept behind Silk. The inspiration for Silk and the simplicity and uh, how we use predictive analytics to actually suggest functionality to the user all of that came from just coming back to China, seeing what's actually happening here as China becomes a consumer, and seeing the type of people struggle with enterprise software at the front line. Just mm-hmm. watching all of this after coming back from Wall Street made me realize that there's still a lot of innovation to take place here. And, you know, rise of China, that's not just a glitch. It's going to continue to happen. So there's going to be a lot of innovation in this space. Thank you, Wendy. And a question, that's quite a journey from Wall Street back to China. Can you give us some time frame here? I'm curious, how long before when you were on Wall Street and you returned to China, was it a couple of months? Was it years before you developed Silk? Uh, I was back here for about a year, just kind of contemplating the space before we decided to just jump in and do something. It's moving so quickly, you know, mm-hmm. there's no time to wait. Obviously. Okay. I want, that's what I want. I wanted a reality check because our listeners want to know about startups. We're not just talking about telcos. We're talking about the whole process of startups and what you bring to the table and the genesis of the idea and what you're offering and your ideal customer and, and uh, the impact you intend to have on one or more industries. Thank you very much, Wendy. Yanni Moore at X Plenty, co-founder. What was the gleam that started what's now X Plenty? When and, and how and why? Yanni, take about a minute, please. Sure. So I'm a data person. That's what I've been doing for the entire of my career, uh, data and business intelligence. And in my previous incarnation, before Explenty, I was an independent consultant to companies, mm-hmm. helping them design and implement and maintain data warehouse solutions. Um, that was roughly, I think, uh, that was three years ago where I was uh, consulting for a company, um, and I managed to see firsthand how they have to deal with new big data technology called Hadoop to mm-hmm. overcome their big data challenges. And they were struggling. Hadoop is uh, a technology that lets you store and process large amounts of data, and they were struggling with it. It's a, it requires a very specific skill set. 
So that's how I came about uh, with the idea to develop Explenty, which is a cloud-based Hadoop as a service platform that kind of bridge, bridges the gap between the technology, which is complex, and its target audience, which are data and business intelligence people. Thank you, Yanov. The genesis of the name, X-Plenty, capital X, lowercase P-L-E-N-T-Y. I'm curious, where did that come from? How big a team and how much brainstorming did it take to get that name? <laughs> well, it's, uh, I, 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 I think I'll have to disappoint you here. It's, um, it's um, you know, we, we actually thought about, uh, you know, finding a good name for, I think, uh, you know, a couple of weeks. And we couldn't come up with a, with a decent name. And then, actually, you know, when I, when I was on a, on a train ride uh, from Haifa to Tel Aviv, actually, mm-hmm. I just, uh, you know, it, it was just, it popped up, uh, you know, plenty. Plenty relates very well to big data. It, it right. has a very positive, positive meaning. And I said, yeah, that, that, that could be a good name, but we have to have an X there, right? We're a startup with a high, we're, we're, we're in the high-tech industry. An X is mandatory. So there you go. That's, that's how we came up with the public Thank you. We'll have to do a special show on startups and how they got their names. I appreciate that. Gary Shankar, third on our panel, Naya Ventures. Tell me a little bit about Naya. Why don't you take about a minute, and then we're going to take our first break. So what is Naya Ventures? What's your relationship to them? When did it start, and what do you do? Sure. Um, Naya Ventures. Uh, Naya is a Sanskrit word for new. Uh, Naya mm-hmm. Ventures is a venture capital firm, early-stage venture capital firm, a $50 million fund. Um, that invests primarily in mobile, cloud, and big data. Um, we have 14 investments so far, uh, and uh, they're spread across uh, all across the United States, uh, a good chunk, of course, on the West Coast, where uh, I live, uh, a few in Dallas, where we're headquartered, and some on the East Coast. Um, me and my partners, Dakar Puskur and uh, Prabhakar Reddy, when um, uh, when we thought about how we could, you know, work with startups, we all thought maybe we could incubate them, maybe we can start one. And each of us, in our own right, had started and exited uh, a couple of startups each. And um, I had been part of uh, four of them, and uh, and so I, I had a good feel for how to get these things off the ground and get it to a point where uh, it makes sense. Uh, for us to exit or, you know, make it bigger companies, etc. But what, uh, when we reflected upon it, what we thought uh, we could bring to the table is surely our uh, operational expertise, our access to our ecosystem, um, hopefully our wisdom, uh, having spent 25 plus years uh, in the business, um, and, uh, you know, helping new set of entrepreneurs how to navigate um, you know, navigate the choppy waters of uh, of being a startup, and that was uh, that was the premise at which we started. Um, we were not super bright Wall Street finance guys or anything who could just chop the numbers up. We just knew what we knew how to run companies, so we thought we could we could exploit that uh, and help the entrepreneurs. The focus for us, we said, was mobile cloud and big data. Um, you know, I got my start uh, at Sprint uh, 25 years ago um, and, um, you know, spent a lot of time in the early days of mobile in the U.S. Uh, had the opportunity to pioneer uh, uh, in the early days of text messaging in the U.S. 
mm-hmm. I was uh, I was part of the company that uh, pioneered voting on American Idol, so America could blame why ah. they exclude reality TV shows to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so uh, my strength and my understanding was all in mobile. My partner had uh, also started messaging and cloud-based companies prior uh, that Acker had. So when we looked at all our expertise, uh, we knew what we knew. We also knew what we didn't know. But one thing was very clear to us that if we can invest, help the entrepreneurs, and really uh, help them grow, I think we could have a winning model. So our mantra uh, in investing is exactly that. If you just want to raise money, uh, probably we are not the best fit. Uh, if uh, our money plus our access, expertise, and knowledge uh, can help you grow the value of your company, then we probably are a good fit. And you, we don't want to operate companies. We don't want to become entrepreneurs. We don't want to be CEOs. But we want to be able to help and advise uh, our CEOs increase the bandwidth. And we made 14 investments. Uh, all 14 founders and CEOs will probably say that, you know, hey, when we need help, we can always call on Naya, and they're ready to roll up the sleeve and get going. So that's, that's how we differentiate ourselves. And uh, we have some pretty hot companies uh, like Glimpse and Altia and Minida Brook in our portfolio. Um, and uh, we hope to, you know, uh, emerge being the first-time fund. Uh, we hope to emerge and stay in it for a long time. Thank you very much, Gary. I appreciate that. We now have a glimpse into what, what these three startups are, are what they're eating and drinking and what sparks them to bring to the table. So much innovation, so much creativity and energy. I'm talking today with Wendy Chen, the founder and CEO of Silk, with Yaniv Moore, the co-founder and CEO of X Plenty, and with Gary Shankar, venture partner at Naya Ventures. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to our newest edition of Startup Focus with Game Changers live today. Today is March 27th, 2014. We have a lot more where this comes from. We're going to take a break for about 90 seconds. And when we come back, we'll have our roundtable nonstop. I'm going to ask my guests to put their seatbelts on because it's going to be a marathon, about 25 minutes of conversation on our topic. And in case you have just tuned in, our topic today is startups and telcos. Let's talk. And that's exactly what we're doing. We'll be right back after the break. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial, that phone, whatever you're you're using, right, Wendy Chen? Kevin, take us out. Out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. In today's globalized world, the competition for customers and marketplace has never been fiercer. Emerging technologies, especially those like big data, can help level the playing field and enable everyone from established enterprises to nimble startups to radically change the status quo. The bottom line, if you embrace technology, you can innovate your way to success. Big data is changing the way we live our lives and do business. Learn how with Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. 
companies like yours competing aggressively for top customers, your strategies and tools must level the playing field and position you well against your larger adversaries. Today, you are faced with global competition for both customers and talent that will drive your business. The bottom line, you need to define what's going to set you apart, and you need to embrace innovation in every facet of your company and your brand. Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Startup Focus with Game Changers. Welcome back. Our topic today is startups and telcos. Let's talk. And I'm doing just that with Wendy Chen at Silk, Yanni Moore at X Plenty, and Gary Shankar at Naya Ventures. Let's start our roundtable marathon with Wendy Chen. And it is now 4.27 a.m. in China. Wendy, you're a trooper. I got to tell you, you're really a trooper for doing this. So, Wendy, you sent me the following notes before the show, and I'd like you to expand on some key words here. You said, rise of emerging markets impact on the world will not be limited to just the economic realm. It will also have profound cultural effects on the global psyche. That's the first part I want you to talk about. The second thing is the way trust is earned, the way business is done, the relationships between business and consumers. That's a packed statement. So why don't you pick whatever part you're interested in, especially the trust part, Wendy, and then we'll ask Yaniv and Gary to chime in. So go ahead, Wendy. Sure. So I'm coming from the perspective of my experience with the company. A lot of what we do is connect foreign brands, foreign companies with emerging market consumers. So it's actually very interesting there. As we watch, it's not necessarily that they have to treat these consumers like their Western counterparts and, you know, hoping that they emerge in the same way. But instead, I see some of these luxury brands, some of these foreign companies, instead their DNA is being changed as they enter these new markets. In some ways, they're becoming a little more... Chinese and, or a little more like uh, the Southeast Asian companies. That's what I mean by it's, and I expect this to kind of extend to other industries as well. I'd say deal more with the emerging markets. It's not necessarily that one side's going to become more westernized, but instead mm-hmm. everyone kind of moves a little bit to the middle. And the way that I see that really comes down to those three words I was talking about. How, how does the relationship change between consumers and brands? What happens to trust? Because the way that trust is earned gained, like, and retained is very different between some of these business cultures. So it is a very packed statement, but it does come down to quite simple elements. Thank you. Very interesting when you say that they meet in the middle, that the Western, the Chinese don't become westernized as much as the, the providers become more like China. Very, very interesting. It sounds like it's a, a good thing for the world, if I can say that without getting political. Yanni Moore, what have you observed? Uh, anything along the lines of what Wendy just mentioned? It's, it's an interesting premise, and, and I don't think mm-hmm. I have a conclusive answer to that. I think in 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 one way, um, definitely the kind of the global village is becoming more and more kind of close, and 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 to some extent, I agree with, with Wendy's comments that that everybody kind of meets in the middle. 
but I don't think, you know, the cultural difference will remain, and actually, in some ways, it even being emphasized. The more we use the Internet, the more we kind of, kind of, kind of, uh, uh, kind of meet in the middle and, 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 and become, you know, the citizens of, of the unified kind of digital universe, we are still, you know, we still want to, to, to maintain our own kind of cultural culture uh, uniqueness. And actually, I see, that, I see that even, you know, when, when I interact with, with people from, from, um, from overseas and, and either on the Internet or in business, and, um, and, 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 I can, and I can see those two things kind of working together. So I guess, you know, the jury is still out. It's, 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 it's a valid point, and, and I don't think the, 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 that, we, that we know how, how this technology is going to impact us at the end of the day. Very interesting observations. I like your remark about we're coming citizens of the digital universe. I'm going to try and tweet that while, you, while Gary is talking. <laughs> Gary, you want to chime in briefly about what, what we're talking about here? Very interesting conversation. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. If you, um, you know, if you really sort of look at it, right, um, you, there was, uh, if you just take the last hundred years and how technology has impacted um, very many things, the, the latest impact on technology in making the world smaller, um, I think, is, is obviously the uh, mobile phones, right? Uh, I think mobile phones, in my opinion, has probably brought more people out of poverty than any other uh, assistance or funding that's probably there. Um, if you think that, you know, I'm in Seattle, you know, the home of the um, uh, Bill and Gates Melinda Foundation, uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, sorry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they use the mobile device to eradicate polio, malaria, uh, give, um, uh, you know, women the opportunity to make a better life. So in many ways, we have become very, very small. But as Jan have said, in many ways, we hang on to our past, and therefore we uh, interpret those changes in the best way for us. So the fact that, uh, you know, commerce via the phone was uh, started in Kenya, Philippines, and now um, I've, I've not been to Beijing, but now I understand you could, you know, use WeChat and pay for your taxi. So if you look at it, that's where the innovation started. But... I think will that immediately uh, translate and happen in the United States? Maybe it'll take longer. Maybe it won't happen because we're happy with our credit card. So I think this mix of how we learn from each other and bring the two together so we make it smaller but know the differences so that the innovation happens, I think is a is a very valid point. And uh, what what Wendy said that, each side is getting uh, to know the other in a way by meeting halfway is because we pretty much know everything immediately all the time. You know, if an airline goes down in the Indian Ocean or, oh. you know, if, uh, if I'm on your radio show, the whole world knows immediately. I hope they do. I certainly (laughs) hope they (laughs) They do. do That's what we're hoping for. Thank you, Gary. I want to move in a very different direction here. I want to talk about telcos and their reputation, past, present, and future. And I'm going to turn to some talking points that Yanni Moore at X Plenty sent me before the show. And you say, Yanni, and this is uh, very provocative, telco companies are the new big brother. We as consumers have already lost the battle for privacy, dot, dot, dot. Telcos know everything about us. Now, without 
dipping your toe into the NSA debate and Snowden and all of those political waters. Let's talk about the industry. You say they're big brother. How long have they been big brother? Are you planning to impact that for better or for worse? Go ahead, Yanov. <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, it's with, with privacy, it's already water under the bridge. The minute we started using the Internet and... And definitely when we started using smartphones, we lost our privacy. Because, you know, Bonnie, every single thing that you do on your smartphone, and more than that, is being recorded somewhere. And telcos know exactly where we are every minute of the day. They know who we work with. They know who we hang out with. They know where we live, and they know where we go to work, and they know when we go to work. And that's just the way it is. If we want to use a smartphone, and if we want to use ways to get to work or get to where we want to go, then we have to assume that the telco companies know that. Now, telco companies have been knowing that for quite a few years, but the big Mm -hmm. change that's happening now is that... They have the technology to actually mine that data and do something useful out of it. Now, the problem here is useful to whom? That's and right. Most likely, it's going to be useful to the telcos and not to you as a consumer, even though they're going to try and sell us that it's going to be useful for us as well. Um, so, yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, I personally, as someone who uses a smartphone and who uses the Internet, I, I, I simply know that... I, I don't have privacy um, wherever I go, and that's just the way it is. I have to, I have to give you um, like a real good example. Um, Please, uh, a guy yes. called Jeff Jonas, who is a fellow data scientist at IBM, one of uh, one of seventy guys, like a really smart person. He was visiting Israel a couple of uh, weeks ago, and, and I went to hear him at, at a lecture, and he and he told us something, you know, that I actually knew already, but but. Um, Kind of, you know, he pinpointed the, the, the actual problematic aspect of, of that data the telcos are sitting on. And he said to, he said to us that um, he, he, um, he talked to someone who bought uh, aggregated data from a telco company. So you don't know exactly who did what, but you, but you have the data. And that guy told him, that guy told Jeff that... Um, when he performs analysis on that data, he can actually re-identify the people from that pool of data that he has because he can actually see for each person what he's, what he's doing in the evening and what he's doing in the morning so he can actually identify where they live and where they work even though initially that data was unidentified. And that's actually quite scary because telcos yes. are doing it all the time. They're selling their data to advertisers and to online marketers, etc., and they say that, you know, the data doesn't have any kind of personal attributes to it. But they don't have to have a name in order to know what, what's in that data and who it belongs to. So that's, that's telcos and the big brother. That's, that's, um, that's the world we live in. 
I, I like to say you can run, but you can't hide, but we won't quite go there. Wendy Chen, your company, Silk, I want to bring you into this. Your company, Silk, is a social CRM extension for luxury retailers. So we have the word social, we have the word CRM, and we have the word, the phrase luxury retailers. So what do you think about this big brother concept in terms of collecting data? That's what CRM is. So why don't you chime in on this concept of we've lost a battle for privacy, Wendy Chen? <laughs> Sure. Mm. Uh, wow, this is, <laughs> this is an interesting territory. So I'll talk about it from, based on uh, our experience. Um, a lot of what we do is empower the front line to merge a little bit of their private life with their work life to bring in better sales, bring in better commissions. So one thing that we've noticed is that if you give the user a clear boundary and define it as like this is an enterprise space, like this, this data that you're entering a lot of what we're tracking, since we are a mobile CRM, we do we do make use of a decent amount of data. This is within the enterprise space. When we define it like that, the the end users become a lot more comfortable. So yes, you know we are tracking when you're calling people from your digital black book, and we are logging that back into the CRM. But within the enterprise, this data is going to the enterprise and being monitored by your employer. I think that actually, like having that clear distinction, actually makes it fairly comfortable for them. And it gains back some of that trust what, as living as a uh, social CRM application on their personal phones. Okay. Gowri Shankar, I'm sure you have yeah. a point of view on this. Why don't you chime in? Yeah. So I think, um, so to a large extent, you know, I truly do believe that uh, who you call, who you text, where you are exactly is all known. That's I think, is the sort of the easy part. Uh, I think everybody has come to the acceptance that that is the case. Uh, I think uh, it's unclear on how it is used and why it is used. Um, I think the uh, that debate is still on, and the thesis is being still, um, I would say, being developed, or and it'll emerge. Part of the struggle, I think, is this: uh, there is this two forces that are you know pulling from each side. One is. Uh, how can I make you buy more if I know more about you? And mm-hmm. I can then predict. And if you start predicting, can you actually get uh, behavioral pattern changes? On the other side is, um, can we therefore use this for you know common good? And uh, both actually can coexist. I think it's not a winner-take-all game. To me, I think uh, the battle about privacy is not what you know, it is uh, how we use it to actually make our lives better. And part of it, everybody understands uh, that, you know, there has to be profits made because there's expenses uh, to to use this data. I don't think anybody actually um, um, questions that. I think what everybody questions is, how are you showing it's useful to me? And that, Mm -hmm. I think, is still... Um, not very, very clear. Like as Wendy said, right, if you make, um, if I can have a peek into your private life and offer you better service, I'm actually open and willing to offer you that. Um, You know, I truly believe nobody wants to wake up in the morning and say, advertise to me. But actually, (laughs) advertising makes us buy a lot of things. And it is only because if you can figure out which one mattered to me the most, and I can see that, and therefore make my life easier, better, uh, you know, uh, all of that. I think uh, 
I think there is a big opportunity to use that data. It is, uh, it is just a question of uh, making sure that there is uh, transparency that such data is being used, but as long as it benefits to those, to those who have opted in to give the data, I think there will be an even exchange. I think that debate is still evolving, partly because there was probably uh, over-enthusiastic users who just, you know, got a rocket ship and just turned the engines on and took off while mm-hmm. they had to moderate, and I think some level of moderation is actually coming into play now. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. And I think the relevance word is not only what will benefit me, but what is relevant to me that could benefit me. So thank you for that. Now, I'm going to turn to your talking points, Gary. You sent me something very interesting. Let's talk about unclaimed territory or that gold mine that Yanov talked about, the gold mine in the data, the big data that telcos can take, take advantage of. Let's talk about the part of the world that's not yet connected. So I'm going to read this point. Gary, kick this off briefly. We have four minutes till break. I want to get everybody's voice in on this one. So the point point is still two-thirds of the world is not connected to the Internet, and you position that telcos are in the best position to solve it. And one more thought, a long-term view will put mobile operators in the best position to capture that market. If not, Google, Apple, Facebook, and Microsoft will be the winners. So who's winning? What does the race look like right now? Gary, give me about a minute, and then we'll have Wendy and Yaniv chime in, and we'll go to break. Go ahead, Gary. Yeah, so if you look at it, I mean, you know, uh, when Facebook acquired WhatsApp, they clearly said, hey, we want to connect everybody in the world. And, um, you know, Google's had a lot of projects. It's just not only the big companies. It's a lot of everybody want to connect connect people to the world, primarily because it leads to commerce, information, etc. But one thing that's common around the world at the moment is even if you go to the remotest part of the world, I, you know, which is very few left now, uh, they do have actually cell phones. Uh, I, I rarely go to countries and surprise that you know uh, that the average uh, person on the street has a cell phone. I, I take it for granted, and mm-hmm. realistically, that means they are connected. Now it's a question of how do you bring them online so that they get the information they want to make their lives better. I think it's a basic human trait. If you ask, uh, I mean, I'm a parent. If you ask any parent in the world, they'll say, I want to make, you know, I want to make life better for my children. And Mm -hmm. when you take something as simple as that, I I think the mobile operators are best positioned to connect the world and uh, and make money off it as you go along it's not for free it's nope. certainly certainly for as you go along if 6 billion people pay you a small a few pennies a day i think it's still a lot of money it adds up it certainly does thank you gary wendy what do you think about this idea of the mo- will the mobile operators be able to seize this population that's not yet connected to the web go ahead i'm going to come at it from a little bit of a slightly pessimistic angle. So I agree that uh, telcos are in a great position to provide internet to uh, you know some of the poorest and most remote parts of the world. Um, I'm actually kind of fortunate. I just came back from uh, sailing around the islands that were hit by the you know giant typhoon that came through ty- um, the Philippines, mm-hmm. and uh, it's really good to see that even though uh, the electricity isn't back in most of the places, they're still using their mobile phones to connect. But at the same time, data charges are just so huge. These telcos, um, a lot of their strategy is to just bill a ton for data. It's essentially limiting and creating a very unfair advantage to 
or sorry, unfair disadvantage mm-hmm. to a lot of the people connecting via mobile phones for the first time in emerging worlds. So I would love to see somebody like a Google coming in and providing affordable data rates to a lot of these more remote areas. Very interesting point. Yanev, I'm going to give you one minute before. We're just about at the cusp of going to break, but I want to hear your POV on this. Are you taking sides or you have your own middle somewhere or edge view? Go ahead. I, I have to agree with uh, what Wendy says. It, uh, what she describes um, is actually what actually the situation that was here in Israel just, just a couple of years ago when uh, the market was uh, heavily regulated and data charges were absurdly high. And um, after you know, a, a couple of, couple of new operators uh, uh, jumped into the market and then all of a sudden there was pure competition and data rates were dropping to you know, a few cents. And um, everybody got online and, and um, it was a huge boost uh, to... to um, to being connected and, and using smartphones in, here in Israel, and I think I think that that's going to be a trend that uh, I guess is it would it would follow in, in in other parts of the world as well. It's just just a matter of time. But I also agree that definitely there's a place for the large you know the internet giants out there, Google or Apple or Facebook, to 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 grab their market share and 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 uh, be involved in, in connecting the world. I think. I think there's a place for them, and I think they will. One of them will be uh, a winner in that sense and will join the telco operators in, 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 um, in providing that infrastructure. So I think it's going to be a combination. Very interesting. Good. That was a a good game we played. I'm glad we got everybody's POV in there. We're about to take a break, but I want to get you all prepared for what happens next. When we come back, oh, I'll talk to Kevin on the break. We'll probably have about eight or nine minutes. We'll divide it evenly, and I'm going to ask you first, Wendy, then Yaniv, and then Gary, to tell me the impact your startup, or in Gary's case, the startups you're funding in your venture capital firm, the impact they intend to have on the telco industry in the next, let's say, five years, 2019, and your ideal customer today and in the future, and where you think your business will be in 2019. Or if you want to push it one year ahead, we can use that wonderful 2020, which is not only hindsight, but it's in the future for us. So you're listening to Startup Focus with Game Changers Live. It's March 27th. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Great show, great panel. We're talking with Wendy Chen at Silk. We're talking with Yaniv Moore at X Plenty and Gary Shankar at Naya Ventures. Going to take a break around 90 seconds. We're going to pour a little refreshing something. Although, Wendy, I don't know what you're drinking this time of the day. You're just starting your day. It's now, let's see, we're keeping track. 4.48 a.m. in China. You are a trooper, my dear. And uh, I think Yaniv is getting ready to end his day. And Gary's just starting. He's got a whole work day ahead of him. So we're going to take a break. We'll come right back with Look Ahead to the Future. Kevin, out. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. With new companies like yours competing aggressively for top customers, your strategies and tools must level the playing field and position you well against your larger adversaries. Today, you are faced with global competition for both customers and talent that will drive your business. The bottom line, you need to define what's going to set you apart, and you need to embrace innovation in every facet of your company and your brand. Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. 
In today's globalized world, the competition for customers and marketplace has never been fiercer. Emerging technologies, especially those like big data, can help level the playing field and enable everyone from established enterprises to nimble startups to radically change the status quo. The bottom line, if you embrace technology, you can innovate your way to success. Big data is changing the way we live our lives and do business. Learn how with Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Startup Focus with Game Changers. And our topic today is startups and telcos. Let's talk, and that's exactly what we're doing. First up in the predictions round is Wendy Chen, founder and CEO of Silk, a social CRM extension for luxury retailers. Wendy, give me your predictions. Where will you be? Where will telcos be? And I don't know if we asked you, but if you could blend into your predictions round, what kind of luxury retailers are you working with? What luxury? Talk to me, Wendy. Go ahead. Sure. So I'll start with the last question first. We work with very specifically with four verticals. When we say we're a vertical company, we mean we go down to that sort of level. So we, with, we work with jewelry, watches, apparel, beauty. That's it. Okay. Um, in terms of uh, predictions, so after the success of KDDI in Japan in creating a very specialized type of app store, they actually have huge adoption, huge usage, and, of course, huge revenue. I believe we're going to continue to see this in the emerging world. And what that means is that we're going to have a lot more people having specific apps for either work, uh, life, or some blend. So specific apps that are very vertically driven, simple, and designed for exactly what they want to do. So this is the trend that we're following. We're creating like a very simple social CRM app that is much, much more loved by the frontline users than this traditional mm-hmm. concept of CRM. So we want to specialize ourselves, differentiate ourselves with this simple design concept where we push, where it's much more like a theory-like experience, making software work for the end user. So I'm going to, I predict that we're going to see a lot more apps like this emerging in the vertical space, simple, where we don't make the users think. In terms of the company, in, you know, in the next five years, we want to be synonymous with luxury. So if you want to enter emerging markets as a luxury company or if you want to better communicate with your customers and empower your front line, the first thought to mind, we want to be Silk. Wonderful. I love the name. And how long did it take you to come up with Silk as the name for what you're doing, Wendy? Oh, this is funny. Um, my business partner is actually from a luxury fashion background. He created a brand from scratch and sold it last year. So he just sat down one day and he just came up with this great story. Silk is the first luxury product in the world and it transformed the world when the West came to get silks from the East. So that's the genesis of our name. 
Thank you very much. Great. And Jan and Moore, we're going to give you about a minute and a half. X Plenty co-factor and CEO. Predict five years ahead or six if you want to go to 2020. Where will X Plenty be and what will your impact on the telcos be? Go ahead, Yanif. Sure. So X Plenty operates in the big data um, ecosystem and we're pretty much at the still at the early phases of big data adoption um, in organizations in, in general and in telecoms as well. The way I see Xplenty in uh, you know, four or five years is being the dominant big data platform out there on the public cloud, but on the private cloud as well. And even most importantly, a platform that can enable organizations to use big data infrastructure uh, in a hassle-free way um, in both the private cloud infrastructure, but when they need electricity, when they need more compute power on demand, they can use the private cloud, the, the public cloud uh, infrastructure when they need it and how they need it. So that's a pretty much a hybrid kind of cloud environment. Um, and the, where I see telcos going is Again, with, with, uh, with a lot of emphasis on, on big data um, analysis and uh, big data capabilities using platforms such as Expandy, but also expanding more to the cloud. I see at least three or four uh, telco companies becoming the next um, Amazon Web Services and the next Rackspace and the next software um, cloud providers because that's... that's um, that's where the business is. That's where the data is. That's where the customer is going to be uh, in terms of, in terms of um, enterprise customers for the telephone companies. Thank you, Yanev. Good, very, very good. Good point of view and good projection forward. And let's give two minutes to Gary Shankar, our third panelist, a venture partner at Naya Ventures. Go ahead, Gary. Where will Naya be in five years, and what do you predict for the telcos? Hi. Um, Hi. Uh, the... Uh, Telcos, I think, will collaborate uh, a lot more with uh, with you know emerging companies. Um, we are funding a lot of companies in that space. Um, I think uh, where we see ourselves is uh, working with uh, very um, you know uh, good entrepreneurs who can come up with innovative ideas that will collaborate with telcos to you know uh, profit both sides. Uh, Naya itself, we uh, we see our, ourselves being in fun too, and one or two of our current um, you know uh, current companies uh, probably would be a household name. Uh, my bet is on uh, one of our companies, Glimpse, uh, which is a, a user control location sharing app on the on both iPhone and Android. That's uh, growing pretty fast and. Uh, and another one called Altia Systems out of Cupertino. So uh, very excited to work with uh, a great mm-hmm. group of entrepreneurs. And uh, uh, actually that gives me a lot of energy um, in working with people who are just wicked smart and uh, can think of dreaming, uh, dream of changing the world every single day. 
I like that. People who are wicked, smart, and dream of changing the world every single day. That's important, and I think that's what startups are about. I have just about one minute left before I close. Wendy, I want to go back to one point we didn't cover. I think everybody will find this interesting. You say you talk about designing for women. We'll do a little gender focus here. We create software for an industry with primarily female workers. There needs to be a difference in design because there's a different in habit. Give me 30 seconds what this means to you, designing software for female workers. I'm dying to know. Go ahead, Wendy. Just 30 seconds. Uh, it's, we're designing enterprise software for primarily female users. So we mm-hmm. decided to make things very encouraging, very uplifting. It's not necessarily in the colors, but it's more like very image-focused and very much focused on incremental rewards. So every time you do something positive, you get some funny little pop-ups. It sounds silly, but adding that type of interaction actually increased the usage by a lot. Usage has always been a problem in CRM. This is why we focus so much on it while we're designing. Thank you, Wendy. That sounds delightful, actually, and delightful user experience is what we're all trying to do. I have a delightful close to the show. I want to tell everybody that this ends our week of five live shows on Game Changers Radio. So starting on Monday, 10 a.m. Pacific, we'll have Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Tuesday, 9 Pacific, HR Trends with Game Changers. Wednesday, 8 Pacific. Yes, it gets earlier. Coffee Break with Game Changers. Thursday morning, 7 Pacific, Future of Business with Game Changers. And we'll be back here next Thursday afternoon, 1 p.m. Pacific, with Startup Focus with Game Changers. My special guests were wonderful. Wendy Chen at Silk, Yana Moore at X Plenty, Gary Shankar at Naya Venture. Shout out to Michelle Hickey, Tom Flanagan, and Kevin and the Business Channel team. Thanks for getting us on the air. I have a call to action for all of you. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another week of live Game Changers Radio presented by SAP. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.